0: Welcome back to The Durst Show. A lot has happened since the last time I talked to you, and I miss you when I'm off the air for for a couple of days on uh, Thursday, Friday, and the weekend. A lot has happened. Uh, In the last six days, we have entered into a new world when it comes to international crisis, diplomacy, and warfare, For the first time in history, and I don't want to understate this, for the first time in history, a major nuclear power has used the threat of its nuclear arsenal to invade a peaceful country against which it had no legitimate grievance, no legal, political, or moral right uh, to invade. And the only reason it could get away with this Invasion, which the whole world seems to be condemning is that it has a nuclear arsenal and Putin has basically threatened to use it now maybe he's bluffing maybe he's not but he has said that special combat readiness of his nuclear forces have now been ordered heightened alert status now I'm sure The United States also is on heightened alert status, and I'm sure that its nuclear capacity is readier than ever, but we haven't announced it. That's the big difference. He's announced it to make a point, and his point is don't you dare have a no-fly zone. Don't you dare try to intrude. Don't you dare try to protect Ukraine. Oh, you can send humanitarian aid, and maybe you can send some defensive weapons, that won't invoke my nuclear arsenal. But if you dare to try to send troops on the ground, or if you dare to try to have a no-fly zone, which involves uh, NATO or American Air Force, f- literally preventing uh, Russian planes from flying over Ukraine, well, we have our we have our, our nuclear arsenal. Look, I'm old enough to remember the Cuban Missile Crisis. I just started being a law clerk in in Washington, D.C. It was October of 1962. I was 23 years old. I had two little children. And my judge, who had just come back from the White House, came to me and said, Alan, go home and be with your family. Um, This is really, really serious. You remember that the Soviet Union under Khrushchev had basically threatened to install Um, rockets, nuclear tipped rockets in Cuba, which is 90 miles away from Miami, uh, Florida, from the the southern parts of Florida. And um, we don't know whether he meant it or not, but uh, we took some tremendously uh, daring risks. We quarantined, uh, created a blockade, and prevented Russian ships from, Soviet ships, from uh, approaching uh, uh, Cuba. But Fortunately, cooler heads prevailed. Robert Kennedy played a large role in that, and I think Nikita Khrushchev played a positive role in de-escalating and ending the Cuban missile crisis. It ended by Cuba taking its missiles, I'm sorry, the Soviet Union taking its missiles out of Cuba, and the United States taking some of its missiles out of Turkey or NATO missiles, whatever, were in Turkey. So there was a de-escalation, but even in that case, the Soviet Union didn't try to take over a country. Um, Cuba had been already taken over by, by Castro, who was an ally of the Soviet Union, but that's different. Here you have Ukraine, a democratic country, um, with elections. Is it, is it a perfect country? No, it, it's had corruption. I represented the president of uh, Ukraine, uh, Kuchma. When he was charged with planning the murder of a journalist, he was acquitted and uh, I spent time in, in, in Kiev. and by the way, they always say Kyiv, that's not correct, that's affected. It's K-Y-I-V, Kyiv. Now there are two pronunciations, there's the Russian pronunciation, Kiev, which nobody's supposed to use because it suggests that Russia has the right to determine how you pronounce the capital city. But it's not Kiev, it's Kyiv. And that's the way it should be uh, pronounced. In any event, however you pronounce it, it's surrounded at this point in time by Russian troops, uh, an armada of Russian tanks and trucks, miles and miles long are on the outskirts of the capital city. Uh, there's been rockets, there have been attacks on uh, civilian targets in Kharkov and other places. This is an all-out invasion, and its goal is to basically occupy an independent, democratic country and uh, create uh, a puppet government, overthrow the government. I don't know whether they're going to try to kill uh, the president of the Ukraine or just capture him, uh, but they're going to try to make sure he's no longer president. And, you know, the chutzpah, the chutzpah of Putin to say that he's trying to undo the Nazi regime, Nazi regime headed by a Jew, a Jewish comedian who has really done a great job in in, uh, just standing up uh, and heroically uh, defending his people. He hasn't left the country, he hasn't gone into hiding. Um, Basically, he is their leader. He has made Churchillian uh, statements and I think whatever happens, he'll be remembered. As a hero of Ukraine, My goal is maybe to have his statue, when he finally passes, replace the statue of Khmelnytsky. Now, let's remember that in the middle of Kiev, in the middle of the capital city, there stands a statue of a mass genocidal murderer of Jews, a man named Khmelnytsky, who was a national hero of the Ukraine. He was Hitler's idol. So, you know, I don't have any great love for the Ukrainian uh, uh, people and their history. On the $5 bill of the Ukraine today, there is still a picture of Khmelnytsky. In fact, when I represented the president, I got him to promise that if I won the case, he would try to get rid of the statue and the picture of Khmelnytsky, but he didn't have the power, obviously. Uh, to do that uh, the ukrainians during the second world War were every bit as bad as the as the Germans and the Nazis sure they were victims too but they helped kill many 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 uh, Jewish babies and women and children they were part of the Holocaust and uh, not everybody but too many of them in the history of um, of pogroms and anti-semitism in the ukraine is is a rampant part of their history but We're talking about Ukraine today, elected a Jewish prime minister a few years ago, then elected a Jewish uh, president. Uh, There seems to be a real change in its attitude, and I think that change will be even greater with the heroism of its current Jewish uh, president. But getting back to the theme of what I was saying, this is the first time in history that a major nuclear power has used the threat of using its nuclear arsenal in order to invade a sovereign country, take it over, and there's no response. Remember that when Hitler did that um, in Czechoslovakia, and then when he did it in Poland on my first birthday, September 1st, 1939, there was an immediate response. Great Britain and France declared war. The United States did not, but Great Britain and France declared war. If Hitler had a nuclear armament, they wouldn't have done it. They simply would have allowed him to do whatever he wanted to do and take over Europe, which he did anyway uh, until D-Day and until the war uh, turned and until Hitler made the terrible mistake of invading uh, Russia, the Soviet Union. If he hadn't invaded the Soviet Union and if Japan hadn't foolishly attacked the United States at Pearl Harbor, Hitler probably would have won the war. Um, Hitler lost the war as the result of a terrible blunder going into the Soviet Union and a terrible blunder in supporting the Japanese attack on on Pearl Harbor. Absent those blunders, the history of the world might have been very different. Instead of 6 million Jews being killed, it probably would have been 10 million Jews, including all the Jews who lived in what was then called Palestine, now the state of Israel. Um, But... The difference is that Hitler didn't have a nuclear power, and so that France and England could satisfy its obligations under the Versailles Treaty and uh, fight back and defend Poland uh, unsuccessfully, but nonetheless uh, defended them. But we live in a different age now, and and Russia has nuclear weapons, and so we're not going to do what England and uh, France uh, did. And indeed, What will happen if Iran gets nuclear weapons? As this is going on, American diplomats and Iranian diplomats are preparing to go back to Vienna and to conclude a deal that will almost certainly allow Iran to develop a nuclear arsenal. And what do you think Iran will do with its nuclear arsenal if it develops it? It will conquer Saudi Arabia. It will certainly threaten to do so. Saudi Arabia doesn't have the resources to fight back unless Saudi Arabia develops A nuclear capacity, which in which case we have two nuclear uh, weapon countries against each other. They'll probably try to get some of the oil from the United Arab Emirates, and they'll go after Israel. Um, So it is absolutely imperative, I think we would have learned our lesson by now, do not allow Iran to become another North Korea. North Korea is different. They are a nuclear power. And they use their nuclear weapons to prevent an attack from South Korea or Japan or anybody else. But at least at the moment, they're not trying to take over Japan. They're not trying to take over South Korea. And so um, uh, we should learn our lesson. You can't negotiate with a nuclear power because they have the threat. That's why we haven't been able to do anything successfully with, um, with North Korea. Do we want... Iran, which has a different approach and exports terrorism and tries to conquer the Middle East, do we really want Iran to ever have nuclear weapons? Uh, I, w- I would hope not. And I would hope that this uh, war that's going on in the Ukraine would redouble uh, American efforts to prevent Iran from ever, ever, ever getting close to having nuclear weapons. And if, if the United States doesn't do it, Israel will. Israel will not accept a nuclear Iran. Remember that the liberal president of Iran, Rafsanjani, once said that Israel is a one-bomb state. If one bomb is dropped on Israel, it's gone forever. Nobody will ever live there, uh, et cetera. And he said, if we develop a nuclear bomb and we bomb Tel Aviv, destroying Israel forever, they will retaliate and bomb Tehran and kill 20 million Muslims. And then he said the trade-off would be worth it. Because Iran and the Muslim world could survive with 20 million deaths, but Israel could not survive one bomb. If you were the Prime Minister of Israel, would you take any chances with Iran having a bomb? Of course not! And Israel will do whatever it takes, even if it means losing lots and lots of soldiers and pilots and sailors and you name it uh, to prevent or delay. You know, the world never prevents anything. But if you can delay for four years, five years, ten years, remember Israel did that already with the Iraqi nuclear reactor in in, in Osirk. You know, and everybody said, oh, oh, oh don't worry. It, it, it didn't stop Iraq from developing nuclear weapons. They'll do it in two or three years. No, they never did it. Because Israel said to them, if you do it in two years, we'll bomb you in two years. If you do it in five years, we'll bomb you in five years. And I think that's the message that has to be sent to Iran. No, you're not going to get nuclear arsenal. No, we don't trust you. No, we don't want you to become like Putin's Russia, but even worse. No, it's not going to happen. And if it requires military force to stop it from happening, that military force will be used. So, what will China do? China is watching very carefully what's going on today in Ukraine because China has its own ambitions. It doesn't want to capture Japan. It doesn't want to capture Australia. Uh, It's not the the, the China of Mao Zedong anymore, uh, but it does want to get Taiwan back. And it has a quote, claim to Taiwan. I don't think it's a particularly good claim, but, you know, Taiwan was part of China. It just happens to be located off the coast of mainland China, but it is part of historic China, they say, and therefore they have a right to reunite, even though the vast majority of Taiwanese do not want to become part of repressive China. Look, the majority of People in Hong Kong probably didn't want to become part of China, but that that happened. So I think China's watching very carefully, and if the world simply allows Putin to take over Ukraine and displace its elected president, and by the way, it's validly elected president. That election was fair, and he, he won overwhelmingly. Um, if the world allows that, I think the light will change for China from red, which it is now, to yellow and, and maybe to green. And we could see a crisis going on in that part of the world. Um, now, we don't have a NATO obligation to defend Taiwan, but we've always said we would. And so who knows what could happen if, if China uh, sets its sites, its nuclear sites, on on Taiwan. So, we're in a different world today than we were a week ago. The world has changed dramatically in one week. In one week. Uh, the world has learned that it can be blackmailed by a superpower with nuclear weapons and we can simply be forced to allow it to take over that country. Well, what about the United Nations? Yeah, what about the United Nations? It's going to have debates. It's going to go blah, 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 blah. And it'll probably go back to condemning Israel. That's what it does. That's its business, condemning Israel. It condemns Israel more than all the other countries in the world combined. Uh, But it's not going to do anything. There will be a General Assembly vote, and it will be overwhelmingly against uh, Russia and in favor of Ukraine. There was a Security Council vote. uh, But, of course, Russia vetoed the Security Council vote. But the United Nations will vote. Big deal. Putin's not going to lose an hour of sleep over that. Oh, but don't worry, because um, the country of Ukraine has brought a lawsuit against Russia in the International Court of Justice. The International Court of Justice is not international. It's not a court, and it wouldn't know justice if it stepped over. it. It's a total, complete farce and failure. It's a United Nations court in which... The judges are selected by the countries not to do justice, but to do the bidding of their countries, and its history is just just awful. And, uh, you know, oh, it can resolve a minor dispute between two African countries or two Asian countries or a couple of islands, but it's never been able to do anything substantial. Well, but what about the International Criminal Court? That's an independent court. Created by the Rome Treaty, yeah, the United Nations has some jurisdiction over it in some cases, but it's independent. Look, its original prosecutor was a brilliant, terrific, fantastic uh, Argentinian prosecutor who helped the bring to, to uh, uh, the, an end some of the Argentinian uh, abuses. And so uh, what about that court? First of all, Russia is not a member of that court. The United States is not a member of that court. Neither of them are signatories to the Rome Treaty. Uh, Ukraine is kind of becoming a member of the court, but it isn't quite there yet. Now, the court claims it has jurisdiction. It's investigating Israel. Israel isn't a member of the court. Palestinian Authority isn't a member of the court. Gaza Strip isn't a member of the court. So they claim authority over war crimes committed anywhere. And there's been an investigation started by the new... Prosecutor of the International Criminal Court, but it's not going to go anywhere. What's it going to do? Are they going to send, you know, as, as, as Stalin would say, how many divisions does the International Criminal Court have? What, are they going to send soldiers to Moscow and invade the Kremlin and pick up Putin? Uh, it may mean that Putin can't travel in parts of Europe. Um, even that isn't, isn't certain. But I don't think the uh, International Criminal Court is going to do much. Um, Economic sanctions can do a great deal. The economic sanctions that have been put in place are really substantial, and they will affect not only Russia and the Russian people, tragically, the people bear the brunt often of sanctions, but it will also affect the oligarchs, the people close to uh, Putin. And let's be careful when we use that term oligarch. It's been used in a racist way. It's been used just to... Direct attention to people who have a Russian or Ukrainian background. Um, many of the people who are considered oligarchs, including by the New York Times, are not oligarchs. They're legitimate business people who just happen to have been born in Ukraine or in the Soviet Union or the younger ones in, in, in Russia. Um, but these sanctions bite, uh, they hurt, and they could be used uh, effectively um, against um, the economy. The economy is crumbling. In, in Russia, stock market is closed. Uh, inflation is, interest rates are in the twenty percent uh, range and could go, could go even higher. Um, will it deter? Will it deter Putin? No, alone it won't. But uh, remember too that this is not a popular war. In 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 Russia, many Russians have friends, relatives, family in in Ukraine. Uh, Remember, many of them share the same religion, Eastern Orthodox. Uh, Others, uh, many, many Ukrainians, particularly in the West, are Catholic. Um, It's a divided country. You know, Putin won. It's so foolish for him to have gone further. He won. He got the Crimea, which is the most valuable part of Ukraine from his point of view. Uh, There was really not going to be a lot of objection. Even President Biden kind of almost gave him a yellow light at least, on the two breakaway provinces. If he had just gone into the two breakaway provinces and stayed away from Kiev, it would be very different. I don't know what he thinks he's going to do with Kiev. You have almost three million people in that city and maybe a couple of hundred thousand Russian troops. They're not going to be welcome. They're not going to be, you know, banners waving for Russian flags. Uh, and they're not going to be white flags. They're going to be Molotov cocktails and and urban guerrilla fighting. It's a no-win. You'd think that Russia would have learned its lesson in Afghanistan. But look, we didn't learn our lesson much either in Afghanistan. But this will be ten times worse than Afghanistan because the world cares about this. The world didn't care much about Afghanistan. The world cares about this. Um I have to tell you, you've got to give a lot of applause to some of the other countries around Ukraine, Poland, and Romania, and Moldavia, and uh, uh, other other countries, the Czech Republic, Slovakia. They're welcoming um, um, emigres from Poland. Look, they're they look like them. Uh, it's not like what's going on in parts of Europe with uh, people of color, people from North Africa, people from. Uh, the Middle East, uh, the, the, the population of, of in, in Eastern and in Central Europe is going to be much more welcoming of, um, of emigres and, and asylum seekers from Ukraine. I'm not saying that's a good thing. I'm just telling you that's the reality of what's happening. People are opening up their homes. They're driving them places. Unfortunately, it's only the women and children and older men Um, because men between, I think, 18 and 60 can't leave the country. They're expected to fight for their country. And if this convoy of uh, Russian tanks and uh, armored vehicles makes it into the center of Kiev, it's going to be difficult. There will be a very high death rate, and um, it will not be something that will be easy to stop I was hopeful maybe there'd be some negotiations. A number of countries, including Israel, has offered to mediate, negotiate. But thus far, Putin doesn't seem to want to uh, do that. Um, he wants to win. And I don't know exactly what winning means. But um, this is going to be difficult. One more point. The world seems to be united in favor of Ukraine. But the United States is not united. The extreme left and the extreme right seem to be in favor of Putin, or at least against America. There is a lot of division. On the extreme left, the Socialist Party of America won't really take sides. They blame everything on America. And the right wing seems to admire Putin. He's white, he's Christian, He's anti-gay, he is in favor of merging church and state. Uh, In some ways, he and some of the other dictators of some of the Eastern European countries are the models for what the right would like to see in the United States. And so both the extreme right and the extreme left are politicizing, in a disgraceful way, I think, politicizing this horrible, tragic war for their own partisan advantage. Can America not unite about anything? We can't unite about COVID and vaccines. That's divided us. You know, we can't obviously unite about anything uh, political. Tomorrow night, when the State of the Union message is given, we're not going to stand behind our president. Maybe there won't be boos uh, by some Republicans, but there certainly won't be cheers. I remember the time when Presidents gave State of the Union messages and everybody cheered. This was a moment to unite the country. The Constitution requires that the president report on the state of the Union from time to time. This is a moment for us to stick together. Look, we have the right to dissent. Uh, We have the right to oppose American involvement in Ukraine. We have the right to support Putin if you want to, wrong as it may be. We have that right, but we also have the right to unite We have the right not to dissent. We have the right to say, this is an issue on which we can all stand together. We can disagree about what the United States should do. We can disagree about specifics. But how can anyone disagree that Russia has absolutely no justification, legal, moral, political, you name it, no justification for trying to overthrow a legitimately elected government, and trying to occupy the capital of uh, Ukraine. It's just wrong. There is no other side to this story. And so I hope Americans will stand behind this administration. If this were a Republican administration, I'd be saying exactly the same thing. I'm not saying it as a liberal Democrat. I'm saying it as a patriotic American, and as somebody who cares deeply about world peace and somebody who abhors... Uh, bullies and abhors attempts to invade other countries without a legitimate reason. Sometimes there are good reasons for invading other countries. England France had good reasons for doing it. Israel has, on occasion, done the right thing by going and engaging in preemptive warfare to stop attacks on its uh, civilians. The United States maybe did the right thing a couple of times as well. We've done the wrong thing a few times. Obviously, Iraq was not uh, a wise... Decision, but, but here, I think we should be standing behind America and, and being united. So I hope we can unite for a change. If you disagree, let me hear your views. Um, scroll down, put them down, and I'm, I'm happy to read them. And I'd like to now uh, turn to some questions that uh, have been generated by today's talk and also uh, in the past. My wife is just handing me some questions from today. This is all spontaneous. I haven't read them, so um, one question. Well, do you regret voting for Biden now? No, I don't. Uh, um, I sometimes think of how different it would be if Trump were president. Uh, I don't know how it would be. It could be worse. It could be better, but. Uh, I voted for Biden largely on his domestic policies. I support gays, gay rights. I support a woman's right to choose abortion. I support gun control reasonably within the Second Amendment. I support separation of church and state. I support fairer taxation. I support environmental uh, concerns. So I'm proud to be a liberal Democrat, and I voted for Biden, and I'll vote Democrat the next time, too, depending, of course, on who's running. Of course, if uh If Sanders runs, I'm not voting for for him. Um, Okay. Um, Let's see what else we have. Um, Somebody says, I'm against the use of sanctions in most situations. I don't know why. What's the alternative to sanctions? Certainly, it's better than using military weapons. Um, And um, let's see. We have to start producing oil again. I agree with that. I think um, um, I think that John Kerry was wrong in trying to prioritize now environmental concerns, which I care about deeply, but now when we need to be focusing on stopping the aggression. And I think to do that, we have to be producing more oil. We have to be telling our European allies that we'll make up for whatever oil they can't get from, from, from Russia. So... Um, You know, a number of the letters say uh, Putin knows exactly how to play Obama and Biden um, um, and they are known, whereas uh, Trump would have done other things. You have a right to that. But I I don't think this is an occasion for asking who you should have voted for. Biden's the president. He was legitimately elected. Yes, the election was fair. No, Pennsylvania was not fair. Um, But Election in general was fair. He won both the popular vote and the electoral vote. He's our president. He'll be delivering the State of the Union uh, message, and I think this is the time for us to stand behind him and, and 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 stand behind whoever the administration is. Okay, let's get one more question. We don't have a lot of time. Okay, here's an interesting question. This goes back to something uh, that I've said a number of times about my support for gay marriage. The problem with gay or whatever marriage is the government is involved. If there was no government in the picture, nobody would care. Here's the question. Why does the government have a say in marriage at all? It's none of their business. I happen to agree with you on that. Um, I think marriage shouldn't be a question of uh, the government. I think the government can give you a certificate that indicates that you have an obligation to pay alimony or child support. Government shouldn't be involved in in marriages. I have to tell you what's going on in Israel now. Because the government of Israel is intertwined with the Orthodox religious rabbinate in Israel. If you want to get married in Israel, you have to get married religiously under the auspices of the Orthodox religion, which is a disaster. Because under orthodox Jewish law, a woman can't get a divorce unless a man wants to. They're called uh, agunot, chained women. And you know what's happening in Israel? People aren't getting married. They're not getting married. They're living together. They're having children. They're having grandchildren. If they want to get married, they go to Cyprus. And they get married there. And Israel then recognizes their marriage because it was done in Cyprus or in the United States. More and more Israeli couples are coming to the United States. And and, and getting uh, married here uh, so I agree with you I don't think I don't think the state should have anything to do with marriage or who lives together the state should be concerned about children and when you have uh, parents whether they're two men two women a man and a woman uh, and they have children whether they're adopted children biological children uh, surrogate uh, children whatever somebody has to make a decision about where the children go if there's a breakup, and that the state will have to do. There's no doubt about that. So, yeah, let's get the state out of, um, out of uh, marriages. If you want to get a religious marriage, fine. You know, if you want to get a religious marriage and you're Jewish, don't go to an Orthodox rabbi and say, I'm, I want to get married, and I want to get married to another man, if you're a man. No, you can't make a rabbi marry you religiously if he opposes gay marriage. Uh, the same thing would be true of a Catholic priest. He wouldn't be allowed to impose the sacrament of marriage on two men or two women. So you know, if you don't like that, join a different religion, or have no religion, or just get married and uh, civilly. Um, and and so I think there's a lot to be said for getting the government out of, out of the marriage business. The one business that can't government can never get out of is defending America. And so let me end today as I began. This is one of the most dangerous periods of my adult life. My adult life, essentially at 23, started with the Cuban Missile Crisis. Between the Cuban Missile Crisis and the last five or six days, we've never had anything quite like this i don't know how it's going to end i do know that the fact that russia has a nuclear arsenal is the biggest elephant in the room it's not an elephant it's a you know it's a, it's, it's it's a dinosaur it's uh, it's the biggest creature imaginable and everything is dependent on the fact that russia has a nuclear weapon so If I have one lesson to learn, do not let Iran develop a nuclear weapon under any circumstances. Do not make a deal with them that will allow them to spin centrifuges or will allow them to illegally do it without inspections. Make it clear to Iran by the United States, by NATO, by Israel, by everybody we will not allow you to become a nuclear power. We will not permit you to have a nuclear arsenal. We do not trust you. We do not believe that you would not use it for ill. So we'll keep talking. Obviously, it's the elephant in the room. We will keep talking about Ukraine. We'll also obviously talk about Uh, President Biden's Supreme Court nomination. We'll talk about his State of the Union message. Uh, We'll keep you current, and uh, you can watch me anytime uh, on, um, on, on video, or if you want to watch me live, it's Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday at 5.30 on Rumble. See you tomorrow.